Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome, listeners and viewers. Uh, to the Prevention 365 podcast. My name is Paulina Hong. I'm the development director here at ADAP. And we're here for an episode to talk about um, the outpatient treatment program here at ADAP. And we have a very special guest today, Nancy Sekizawa. I'm going to make sure I get this right. She is an addiction specialist as well as a certified drug and alcohol counselor. But as you'll see through our conversations, there's so much more to her than that. Um, and she's here to really share about what the program is like, and uh, maybe some even words of advice for those that may be seeking treatment. So welcome, Nancy. Uh, hi. hi, hello. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Pauline. Well, thank you so much for giving um, or setting aside this time to have this conversation with me. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Um, Nancy, I will do my best to do a really quick intro, but I know you'll do it better yourself. Um, so Nancy has been in the nonprofit sector for collectively about 23 years, and I'll let her tell you all about the many different places that she's seen and, and had a chance to be a part of. Um, and she works in ADAP's outpatient unit, which has been a part of ADAP almost since the beginning. Uh, but it is our treatment center and program for, um, for adults. Uh, we do have a youth treatment portion as well, but Nancy works in what's called the Jim Goodman um, Outpatient Clinic. So she'll be telling us a little bit more about that. All right, so just to get started, let's uh, let's have a quick check-in with Nancy. So Nancy, uh, thank you again for being here. Tell us about yourself. Uh, I want the listeners to know all about uh, the wonderful person that you are on all the different layers there are to you. So tell us about yourself. Where, uh, Who are you? Where are you from? Um, how you? How did you come to be at ADAP today? Okay, so actually I was born and raised in LA and uh, went to school in Hollywood. Um, my parents ran a restaurant in Little Tokyo. It's been up and running from 1947 to 1989. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I worked there as a kid. Uh, they didn't trust me to be at home by myself. <laughs> But if anything, you know, I worked there and I saw a lot of uh, a lot of people that used to come in and out. And most of them were like nightlife people, which was really attracting at, at one point, especially in my teenhood. Um, and then I actually was uh, in the band, an all Asian band, Japanese, well, it's API band. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I was called Hiroshima back in the day, and I was the lead vocalist. Uh, so I was actually seeing a lot of people at that time of during the 1960s, 1970s, using drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. Many of my friends have passed, mm. passed on behind this, including some family members as mm. well, and not knowing about addiction. So that really actually intrigued me to, to do a little bit more research on it, if you will. Mm -hmm. And with my own experimentation on substances, I, um, I saw that, that it was highly addictive. Mm -hmm. So, but I was introduced to ADAP in 1988 
through a program out in Pomona. Uh, and then I was offered a job as a night caseworker. Mm. And I remember my first, I didn't have a vehicle at the time. I actually took a, a bus. And uh, I remember John Fukuda. Um, oh my goodness. One of, his, one of my clients at that <laughs> time, Larry Gonzalez. Um, I remember Phyllis Nickel, who was a counselor there. Al Mizuno, <clears throat> I remember him. Oh, Al. <laughs> yes. And of course, Mike, we were all in this one house on 53rd and Crenshaw, and we all worked together. And I worked as a night case worker, but not only that, I was uh, in, in residential. Okay, and that's what we call the TC today, right? The therapeutic yeah. community. Correct. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I was, I said, okay, well, let me try outpatient. So it was just right up the hallway, and I thought, <laughs> well, let me just <laughs> let me see if I can work there. And I did, and I was working with Jim Goodman at the time. Jim Goodman. But uh, it was a roller coaster ride, all of it. It was very eye-opening, mm -hmm. you know. So that was my introduction back yeah. in 1988. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, I mean, I, even myself, I've been at ADAP about 14 years now, and I know the name Jim Goodman. But can you tell us a little bit more about who he, um, who he is and why uh, it's significant that our current outpatient program is named after him? You know what? That's a good question. Um, I, I remember him, <clears throat> and he was like one of the, I would say, more hardcore, knew about the penitentiary aspects of recovery. And he was, he was there until he passed on. Oh, wow. Okay, so that means a number of years. And uh, at that time, also, Glenn Andres was there. And he, you know, everybody taught me the ropes, I remember. Mm -hmm. But Jim was there in outpatient. He was just like, you know, the grandfather of outpatient. I see. And he stayed there until he passed on. Wow. That's amazing. And now you guys have your own building named after him, not right. just down the hall at the TC. <laughs> you know, it, it blew me away when I came back to ADAP that you have different departments now in different mm -hmm. sectors of the city, which I think is so, uh, I think it's just so amazing that it expanded that much mm -hmm. and very well so because you know, the existence of ADAP is well over 45 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, just to see it just um, having all different categories of a population that ADAP serves was just amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And it was from the ages from seven. Seven? About yes. From really? seven to 11. <laughs> There was like this one, uh, it was more of an intervention for the kids that were at that age. Mm. And then you have the youth. Um, at that time, Greg uh, Murakami and Jose. Jose Esqueda, yes. our current fearless leader of the youth and family programs. Yes. Yes. Were like, like he, he's in the, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a name after him once he retires because those two people were like the forefront 
of helping the youth. Mm. So it really intrigued me. They had motorbikes, so little bikes. Yeah, they used bikes. That's um, right. Uh, yeah, the famous to... Nippon program, there which one go. day we hope to bring back. <laughs> so Honda, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're just waiting. We're waiting to bring back this amazing program. Yeah. All right, Nancy. So uh, one of the reasons we're here today is to talk about the outpatient program. It's an uh, alive and well today, and uh, there are a lot of great things that you guys are able to do over at the Jim Goodman Outpatient um, Program. So, where's my notes? Okay, uh, so actually, let's just start with the basics. Um, can you explain to our listeners, what is outpatient treatment? Like, what does that mean? Uh, what does that entail? And maybe additionally, can you explain some of the different I'm going to use a treatment term here, but the modalities or levels of treatment that we provide. Okay. Um, I first started working at the Goodman building doing drug court. And the, this is more of the intensified treatment that once they are uh, released in court to our custody, uh, they have to do probably intensified treatment would be about six groups per week and six 12-step meetings a week, including individuals and testing. At that time, it was testing twice a week. Okay. Mm. Um, and that actually, it was, you know, some my, I just had a graduate uh, yesterday, went to Inglewood Drug Court, and mm. I saw one of my clients graduate and she asked me how many people usually graduate from drug court I said you know they have graduation twice a year but you see that jury stand you know and there was mm -hmm. like maybe about 15 to 20 chairs they usually have that full mm. of graduates so I'm letting everybody know that if you do this program it does work mm. and the um the incentive for drug court is to get your cases expunged. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's why they do it and to get it off the record. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's and drug court. Yeah. So Nancy, uh, what are some of the cases that someone might have and be able to have it expunged through drug court? Some of them are um, from anywhere from felonies to misdemeanors. Okay. okay. But drug so, related. Drug, yeah, drug related. Okay possession, uh, possession sales, uh, yeah, you name it, anything, you, mm -hmm. and if you got busted, just uh, being on the substances too. So also too, just to let you know, I, I work for, um, I work partially for PC 1000, which is like the first offenders that let's say that you had carried some drugs over to a rave and then you got popped for that it's your first time so they come to us and they do at least about 25 weeks of education wow 25 weeks that's like half a year almost uh -huh. <laughs> wow yeah so it's kind of an, a good incentive that you know anywhere we we do 25 different sessions mm. and it's amazing and after that they never really want to do this again because it's it's growing, coming over to us every week. And plus, they got to pay for it. Oh, my All goodness. Right? Wow. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. to get it off of their record. Mm -hmm. Just like a, a, a citation, a ticket, you want to get it off the record. Mm -hmm. So with drug court, there's a previous offense that they do. And so I know Larry Gonzalez used to go inside the, uh, the system and mm -hmm. can talk to them to do assessment to see if they would be qualified. So some qualifications to be in drug court. Mm -hmm. So that's that part. Yeah. Wow, that's great. I mean, I've heard some really great um, statistics about the drug court program, and ADAP has been a part of it almost since the inception of the model itself. Um, and so for listeners that do not know, and I'm going to do a terrible job of explaining it, so Nancy, please correct me. Uh, but drug court is a cooperative form of um, drug treatment slash, um, I guess, court-appointed drug treatment. Uh, but it's for low-level offenders, usually, and um, it's a cooperative um, uh, treatment team between the judge, the drug court judge themselves, uh, the different staff at the courtroom or at the courthouse and um, the treatment staff like ADAP who are there uh, every time that the case is brought forth before the judge to advocate for and to um, collectively work on a treatment plan for each individual. And I believe we've been a part of it since 1997 and there's some really amazing things um, of results that studies have shown um, something like there's a drop of like a 66% um, recidivism or drop in recidivism rate for those that do tend to go through drug court. So I know those are just numbers, but Nancy, for yourself, um, and just to kind of help explain to our listeners why, you know, why do you think drug, do you think drug court is successful? And um, why do you think it is, if that is the case? You know, since um, back then, it does take a year to modify the behavior of a recovering addict to adjust to the way it is for life, really, mm. uh, to maintain their recovery and their sobriety. So uh, the introduction of going to groups, uh, which we have an abundance of, mm -hmm. and we used to have it like three times a day in person, pre-pandemic, right? Uh, at least three times and then testing twice a week to make sure that you're um, testing clean and that was the protocols for drug court. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's not a punitive thing, it's just to keep you accountable if you want this or not, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so with, I think to me, it takes that long to adjust and mm -hmm. I see a lot of people start recognizing once they're clean of who they are mm. and they go wow i made a lot of mistakes wow how do i how do i overcome you know some of the mistakes and not do it again um, i really did a damn a lot of damage to my kids my family members they see that because they're conscious now right mm -hmm. so the one thing that i always say is like you know you guys who did drugs you're not bad people. You just did bad things while you were under the influence. So now that you're not under the influence, you're able to understand a little bit more as we teach you, mm -hmm. you know? So all the groups that we have are uh, 
as you say, really self-reflection. Right. And that's one of the things that the client yesterday said, all those gifts really made me think about who I am. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so and important. how that hurt me, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Don't we all need that, right? Yes. <laughs> all right, um, so I mean, you actually brought that up, uh, the pandemic. And um, I imagine, you know, we're already a year and a half into it now, but when it did hit, it was a big shock to the system for everybody. When things shut down, when everybody had to work from home, essentially when nobody could go out. Um, I know that ADAPS, you know, worked really hard to adjust and were able to gear up um, telehealth fairly quickly. But even still, I'm sure it had a huge impact. So can you tell us about those times, those wild, wild west times, what it was like when it first happened, um, how you guys adjusted and um, any, you know, particular highlights from that era? So um, <clears throat> I was the first one to say I, I, I can't go in because I have a compromised immune system. Mm. So that was one of the reasons. And uh, so I just had to be more, um, and nobody knew about Zoom, how to work that or anything. Mm -hmm. So it took a, uh, at least two to three weeks to get adjusted to that. But in the meantime, I have my phone mm -hmm. and I was able to call the client to see if they're okay, you know, and to uh, just keep that contact saying that you're not lost. We didn't forget about you. And that's what, that was my role, mm -hmm. right? I became really good at doing that. And I also not, there was one 70 year old man who could not even come to test, right? Mm -hmm. And so he actually um, had somebody pick him up to do the testing for the course. He had to test, but we schedule it so that every, all staff was safe and especially for him. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, planned it. I didn't know how well of an organizer, not to post or anything, but I organized his appointment as well mm -hmm. as getting a COVID test at the forum. Oh, so, okay. Via, via the phone, mm. right? And once I was savvy enough to use the, the Zoom platform, um, I contacted the client's telehealth, even though they don't know how to do it. I said, don't worry about it. You know, I'm going to call you if you can't work it. I'm going to work with you. And mm -hmm. so this is how it started. And I became more, um, my data input, my entry, all of that became much more successful. Wow. Blessing in disguise. Like, you know, there's so many places that we can look back on and realize that as horrible as the pandemic continues to be, there were a lot of moments there where we could consider a blessing in disguise. So that's really great. I think um, I'm always touched by the fact that uh, our counselors here at ADAP, do, like, you know, it's not just the job. You really do care about the individuals that, that might be your client. That's the technical term, but they're the individuals that um, are in your world and your sphere at that moment in time, um, coming to you for help and, and needing that guidance. So. I just want to say thank you to, I know it wasn't just you. I know there were many, many, many of our um, ADAP staff here really took that first few weeks of crisis when the Safer at Home orders went into place and took the time to contact their clients and made them 
um, know that they were being thought of and looked after and we were working our darndest uh, to get back into services. So thank you for doing that. I think that's a really valuable trait of a counselor. Uh, I always use that uh, slogan, people need people. So yeah. here, I'm here, you know, I'm just a phone call away, just give me a call, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And if they don't, you, you definitely will hear from me. <laughs> That's right. I know, even if you don't want it, we'll be contacting you. <laughs> some of them were so distraught behind the whole thing, they forgot the court date. They forgot everything. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to deal with their children. They were just so distraught. So right. you know, we walked through it together, which was mm -hmm. great. Yeah, I mean... All of us have enough material here to write memoirs after all of this, huh? <laughs> Especially you, Nancy. <laughs> all right. Well, okay. I do have some questions that I wanted to go through, but um, uh, one of the things that I think others might be curious as well as myself are um, the types of individuals that actually come to the Goodman um, outpatient counseling. So where do we get most of our clients from? Are they through referrals, through, um, I think you mentioned court mandated, through drug court. Can you go a little bit into that? Um, we are on a list of referrals for outpatient treatment. And, you know, thank goodness for our intake staff members who are bombarded daily mm. with people that really need treatment uh, via through uh, the courts or DCFS. So most of our population are either mandated to be here and we try to work with them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if you, ha if you have a DCFS, that's the Department of Children and Family Services and your child got taken away and you want to regain custody of your child without going into the foster home. So we ask you to come and then you are to do like domestic violence groups. You, are, you need to do parenting groups. You need to get a therapist. You need to do anger management and a women's group. You know, all those things are a necessity mm -hmm. as well as seeking outside therapy because there's a reason why all of that chaos happened where you forgot your child. Mm -hmm. you, know, you left your child. And it's a neglect and abandonment of your mm -hmm. child via through you know, drug use, right? So um, that's a kind of like a, a wraparound, all around kind of encompass group and then testing too. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, right. Can you clarify testing just for those okay. that might not know yeah. what that is? All right. Testing. We need to have urine testing, okay, to see if the substance is still within you. So, and the courts really want to know if you. Uh, have any kind of uh, substance and also to make sure that you're clean mm. in order to have reunification with your children all right so if you're if you're not if you're positive for any substances it withstands them from reunification mm. which is understandably so because you know once you're using you're just out of your gore you're really mm. out of your mind and they don't know it which is sad you know, the addict is the last one to know about this. So, um, yeah, I've had some successes and some that are not successful. Mm -hmm. okay? And that's just the way it goes. The, 
the key thing is that they're willing. And I really want my child back. I said, okay, well, then this is what you got to do. Stay in contact with me, number one. Let right. me know where you're going. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a PO officer, but I just need you to attend these groups and just do the parenting because mm -hmm. somehow those skills went out the window, right? So, and then they're compliant. They're doing it. And that's mm -hmm. a 17-week course. Wow. This is, yeah. I mean, if anything, it, uh, just the number of groups that you have to attend should teach you um, perseverance one way or another. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a, a young human being that yeah. has no idea what the mother or the parents did. So, and you get a certificate after 17 weeks, you know, mm. saying that you completed the program. I see. Wow. Um, I mean, with the pandemic, I know that uh, we were able to adjust, I think, successfully in many ways. Um, can you recall maybe some of the challenges? And one of the things I'm curious about is, I think it's very hard to quantify a success rate, but um, as much as what you think, well, how you define that, um, how do you think that went during the pandemic, the success rate of the treatment that was being provided and some of the bigger challenges that we faced? For me, uh, the ones that stay connected succeeded, mm. okay, you know, and what I did in this time around was to say, hey, you know, I'm really glad that you are talking to me, and I mm. encourage your clients, so they have never heard that encouragement, and I didn't really do all of that while in-person meetings, when we had our in-person groups, because I was like, if you will, just had to monitor the entire group or, or where they're going or where they're talking, so it's kind of sideline talk, all of that, just monitoring right. that. But when I did this one-on-one, and even I was just in group just before we went on, they just show up and they're willing to chat, they're willing to talk about themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just say, hey, you guys, you guys are doing great. This is really important for you, not only for you, but to see that you guys are really wanting to do this. So there's that special, I would say, care and concern mm -hmm. about all of their well-being. And they feel respected, by me anyway. Mm -hmm. I don't know about all the other stuff, but by me, I'm really, I always say, thank you for sharing that. That really meant a lot. Mm -hmm. So they feel that. And that's one of the things I think changed during the pandemic yeah. and even now. Yeah, that's amazing. Again, blessings in disguise, um, not to make light of the terrible tragedies that have happened, but it's um, really great to see that silver lining. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, I, I don't want to keep you here too long, uh, but I did want to maybe draw back a little and uh, get to know Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as I alluded to at the beginning, Nancy is a multi-layered individual. Um, I called her Atomic Nancy at the beginning. She told you guys a little bit about um, the restaurant that her family ran. But if you haven't had a chance, please Google search uh, the Atomic Cafe. Actually, Nancy, you tell us about it. But there is a, there's actually a documentary out about her and uh, her parents' restaurant. And in addition to that, did you know that she's on Netflix? That's pretty cool. Um, so Nancy, tell us a little bit about those projects and how that, you know, like how that works into who you are as a person today. 
Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned that I used to be in a band called Hiroshima. And actually I started at the age of 15 before I could drive, you know, and they used to pick me up. Um, Jean Kuramoto's brother, uh, oh God, Tracy. Tracy used to come pick me up at school. Oh my goodness. You know, we're going to have band practice, but before that, we're going to go to the Asian American Studies where Dan is doing the lecture. I said, okay, and then we'll have band practice. Mm -hmm. So they would take, pick me up and take me home. All right. But going further backwards, um, as I was growing up from the age when I was born until about 17, I wasn't a very healthy girl. I was born sickly. Mm -hmm. And so I stayed home a lot. And my father used to bring like records from the jukebox and a billboard magazine. And we had, I had this little turntable and that was my toy. That was my toy. So I would play all these records and that would make me really happy. And it mm -hmm. really soothed me. Hence, I became a music major after that, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how it all started for me with the band and, and being a musician and a vocalist. Um, so that, and then also the documentary, uh, Tad Nakamura, uh, Akira uh, Bosch. They both did it from Little Tokyo Service Center with Evelyn Yoshimura and Remy. And they did this documentary and it's, it's, it's out, mm -hmm. it's on PBS. So if you want to look at it, so that's kind of the real truth in about 15 minutes, a real crash course of who I was and what I did. Um, also to this uh, Netflix, it's an animation called City of Ghosts. Um, Elizabeth Ito actually produced this. And um, my daughter and I are in it. That's amazing. So it, it talks about the gentrification. So I'm a little ghost and my daughter is there with me and uh, these little kids they're ghost little ghost investigators so it, but it's good for the entire family to watch and we watched it and i keep watching it we're on the fifth episode by the way okay city of ghosts got it city of ghosts on netflix episode number five go watch it everyone you heard it here <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, Nancy, you've really had, I mean, I don't know if you would describe it this way, but I would say kind of a rock star life. Um, and, you know, you got to meet so many different kinds of interesting people, famous people even, um, when you were at the Atomic Cafe. So, um, I mean, with all that really interesting and rich background to your life, how does that, does that in any way lend itself to how you do treatment and how you serve others through your work? Absolutely. So with the Atomic Cafe, you know, um, since I had to work there full time, I said, well, I'm going to be out there hosting people and be a server. Mm. And then, um, and I never felt like I fit it in anywhere, not even in the, in my own community, because mm. I, I was, you know, I wasn't all that grade A student and want to go to UCLA or USC. I wasn't any of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what I did feel that um, most of the people that thought just like I did were all misfits, right? So most of the people that used to come were all misfits. Hence, my cafe turned into like a punk rock cafe. And you have 
artists, musicians, writers, painters, you name it, producers, you know, photographers that used to come and bring their art, I would say, hey, all right, you want, okay, we're, let's put that over here, you know, right? And then the kids at that time would make like their 45 records mm -hmm. and they go, hey, Nancy, you know, uh, we just uh, cut a single. And I'm going, oh yeah, you did? Said, hey, you got a jukebox, right? Can we put it in? I go, heck yeah, let's put it in there. So that's how it all started. I was just trying to enhance their ability that, you know, they're creating something and it seems like it really worked for all the people that used to come. Wow. You know, so, yeah. That's so, so you were able to create community because that yeah. was important to you. That's right. Yeah, and that's different level. Right. You know? And in some way you attempt to do that now, even if it's one-on-one -on -one in a lot of cases, but with the clients that you work with today. And I hope that's I something that all. take away. Oh, yeah. I relate to pretty much everyone, mm. you know, so that was the experience. Um, that I've had even doing this treatment is just, oh, really? You did that too? Wow. Tell me a little <laughs> bit more about it. Huh. I never condemned them. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't, they don't know how to help themselves once they're on, once they're using. Right. So I try to get them over on the shame of using. It's just, mm -hmm. hey, it's a medical condition. So I'm going to let you know that right now. Right. All right. Okay. That's so important. Shame holds us back in so many ways and i just feel like there's a lot of valuable lessons that anyone could learn um, from the treatment that um, happens here at ada so thank you nancy thanks so much for sharing about yourself about the outpatient program um, before we end i wanted to uh, this is really more for as a referral source or a resource for folks that um, may actually be struggling with addiction today right now um, maybe they don't know it as, as you said before, sometimes addicts are the last ones to realize it. Mm -hmm. Um, but for that person, and then also secondly, for the loved ones around them, um, what is something that they can do? So I guess we could do one question at a time. So what is, if someone is seeking help, what can they do? Okay. So what I usually do from the very beginning and thank goodness for Zoom sites. Hey, if you know that you're using substances like uh, any kind of narcotics, there's a group called Narcotics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And I've got a link for you that's 24-7. You can go all around the world, listen to everybody having the same issues that you do. You don't even have to show your face. You just log on to that, as well as alcohol. It's anonymous too, wow. all over the world, you know. Wow. And I've seen it in mm -hmm. New Zealand. I like the one in Hawaii. You know, it's amazing. Japan. There's a separate since the um, Asian hate crime that's happened. There's a separate group for APIs, okay, mm -hmm. for twelve step. So. Um, I would listen to them. I say, hey, you want to check this out? You know, because I kind of have to go down to their level to let them know that I understand. And if you're hurting, you got my number. And I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to mm. reach out to you. All right. Yeah. Just have to pick up. You got to pick up when I call you. That's all. Answer the phone. Yeah. And, and for the loved ones, 
and their groups for them call Al-Anon. Mm. I, you know, I'm hoping that down the road, once the pandemic lifts, they are, they have virtual Al-Anon meetings. So that's highly recommended. Mm. And I just want to let the parents and the loved ones who are not using and seeing the ones that have been using, you didn't cause it. Mm. That's number one. You can't cure it. All right. Nor can you control it. So those are the three C's of Al-Anon that I've learned. Okay. Right. Les, can you repeat that one more time? Sure. You didn't cause it. Mm. You can't cure it. And you can't control it. Mm. All right. And there's meetings for the loved ones as well. And that's why programs like ADAP exist or came into existence. We're not the only ones out there, folks. There's thousands. And so as Nancy has, um, and we'll try to get those links listed into the, the show notes, um, reach out for support because that's the, that's the best place to start. Um, and really, we we'll really hope that just, you know, some of the things that we've shared today through Nancy and about the outpatient program, um, it'll help move somebody in the right direction towards getting help. Um, so yes, that brings us to the end of our interview. Nancy, if you want, you could throw in a little fun tidbit there. I did save the best question for last, which is, um, can you tell us a little story, perhaps about yourself or even something that happened throughout this past year that no one else may know about? It could be something fun or something memorable or just something random. Okay. I, you know, from the Atomic Cafe, I've managed to save all those 45 singles and I have it dated back from 1940 to 1990 okay mm -hmm. and with those 45 now Metro Link had demolished our um, our building so That's they could right. put the gold line there mm -hmm. so um, they asked me to DJ right so I DJed um, most of these 45s that I, I'm just telling you. I have a DJ set, and it's usually like for uh, people that really want to hear singles that are mm -hmm. a little savvy, like who would have thought that there was a single on Star Wars, okay? Who would have thought there was a single on uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Wow. You know, and I play this. The Overture of Tommy by The Who is on a single. So I play this and kind of like segue, make a storyline out of these uh, records that I have. So I did that in the beginning of the pandemic for Metro. And oh. One hour. And I think it's on there somewhere. Okay. Um, we'll have to find it and try to link it <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. well you are a, a multi-talented individual and uh, clearly a very caring and compassionate person as well so thanks so much for being a part of the adap family of our ohana and um, just bringing the gifts of your talent and um, you know spreading the community that you were blessed with growing up to others um, around us today so thank you so much, Nancy. <laughs> it's been a so pleasure. Much. All right. All right. We'll see you next time. And thank you, everyone, for joining us again for this uh, episode of Prevention 365. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.